as you can imagine, there are times in our lives where it could be difficult to talk about subjects in Scripture. In fact, when I first wrote this series in the beginning, I thought to myself, oh man, this is going to be great. How could I get myself in much trouble in talking about the first three chapters of Genesis? And then I started to read the chapters and think about our society, and I said, oh boy, I'm in trouble. (laughs) It's amazing how many things are difficult for our world to be able to understand. And make no mistake, right now, one of the most hardest things that I think, especially young people are facing, is this concept of how do I be a man? Or how do I be a woman? And as a dad with two boys, I am oftentimes asking that question myself. How am I modeling manhood for my boys? So I've been trying to do my part in reading books and thinking about what it really means to be a man and how to model that for my boys. But something pretty interesting happened to us yesterday. You see, my son was on his way. We were all in the car together, all four of us, and we were on our way to celebrate a birthday of a family member. If you didn't know this, my wife has is one of four girls, and she was fortunate enough that three out of the four girls were all pregnant at one time, and that pregnancy was with Theodore. So it was pretty cute, but all the little kids, especially around Christmas times, it's super cute to see them together because they're all around two to three months of age, with Theodore kind of being, I think, in the middle there, maybe the last one, I'm not sure. So they're all little three-year-olds, so they all get to celebrate birthdays together. They're all around the same age, and we were heading over to one of his cousin's house to celebrate her fourth birthday. And we were trying to make good time on the road, but we caught ourselves at an intersection just as we were exiting the highway. And as we were exiting the highway, I noticed a broken down car in front of me. And it's just been a practice of mine that if there's a broken down car, that I just try to ask, hey, is there a way I could help? And in this particular case, I saw a young lady pushing the car. So I was worried for them, so I told Michaela to pull to the side, and I hopped out of the car, asked them if they needed any help. And who came out of the car was an even smaller girl that looked like she was 100 pounds soaking wet, if you were lucky. And these girls were stranded in the middle of this intersection, and everybody was just passing them by. So I stopped and asked if, if they needed help. They said that they ran out of gas. So thankfully enough, they had a little one-gallon can in the back of the car, and I said, hey, you guys just hang here. I'm going to go get you some gas. I'll be right back. They handed me the can. I did exactly that. I poured the gas in there, made sure that the car can turn on, and they were happily on their way. But what stuck out to me about this moment wasn't that the car was broken down. It wasn't that all these cars were passing them by and nobody was helping, which is sad in itself. But it was what happened to me after I came back into the car. You see, my son is only three years old. And as I said to you, I'm trying to teach him what it means to be a man. And I think sometimes we think being a man is someone who can just stick their chest out, beat their drum, and be as tough as tough can be. But what was interesting is what happened after I stepped into the car. And I couldn't believe these words came out of my little boy, and I was just treasured the moment because of it. 
But I walked back into the car, I sat down, and the first words that came out of his mouth is he said, Daddy, are you a hero? And I thought to myself, where does he even think about that? How did he even learn this word? And, and, and unfortunately, in this moment, all I could think about is, well, I'm not Tony Stark, and I don't have an Iron Man suit where I could fly around. I didn't get bitten by a radioactive spider, so I don't know if I'm a hero. And to, thankfully, in my pause and not knowing what to say, my wife quickly replied in my stead and said, your daddy is a hero. He helps people. And I thought to myself in that moment, you know, I worry often about the kind of character that I'm going to instill in my children and what it means to be a man. But I was reminded in that moment that manhood could look like that, helping somebody who needs your strength in their moment of weakness. And that could be true for anybody regardless of what sex they are. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to be created by God. So in order to do that, we're going to look at the book of Genesis. And specifically, we're gonna look today in two chapters of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we are gonna be doing some flipping around Specifically, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 in the last few verses there. And we're also going to be looking at Genesis 2. So Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So on the final day of creation, on the sixth day of creation, God creates humanity. It's here that we are going to be examining scripture. So I'm going to read aloud Genesis 1, 26 to verse 28. So follow along with me as I read aloud. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our what? Likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them what? Male and female, he created them. So read that again with me. Male and female, he created them. In verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. And every middle school boy said, amen. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is really very interesting. And if you haven't had the time to fully examine this verse, in fact, I believe that there is a lot of theology that we can grasp from it. How we got here, what our purpose looks like, all of this is kind of in some ways packed into these three verses that really the Bible starts to expand on continuously as it goes on. But on the last day of creation, what does God create? Man 
and woman. He creates humanity. Like all the creation, though, that comes before it, humanity comes from the dust of the ground, from the dirt of the ground, just like all of the rest of creation. But unlike the rest of creation, what sets humanity apart? What sets humanity apart? Exactly. Bingo. Mike said it perfectly. That humanity was created in the image of God. You see, we were created in God's image and in his likeness. And so I put that out on screen for you today. We were created in God's image and in God's likeness. Now, theologically speaking, I'm going to put a slide on there for you to see. What we call that within theology is that we were created in the Omago Dei. Go back two slides. And that, that is a Latin phrase, the Omago Dei the image of God. So unlike all of the rest of creation, humanity stands apart because we represent what? God's likeness, his image. Not that we ourselves are God, but rather his likeness is put inside of us. And it's so amazing, and I think scripture takes the time to make sure that we are the last part of creation because it wants to exalt in some ways the beauty of God creating men and God creating women. I like this quote from John Calvin. John Calvin says this. He was a, a great theologian and pastor from Geneva during the Reformation. And he said this. We are not to look to what men in themselves desires, but to attend to the image of God which exists in all and to which we all honor and love. Now that might sound fancy for you, but let me simplify that. What John Calvin is trying to say here is that we are to value are people of the earth because each and every single one of us embodies the image of God. This is why I believe scripture takes it so seriously with issues of violence and why I think our Anabaptist heritage rightly understands the importance of being people of peace because every single person on this planet bears the image of God and we need to desire to help those people bring out the beauty of that image. And we never want to be the kind of person that in showing our image to others shows what? an image that isn't in the likeness of who God is. Do you see what I'm trying to say there? That we as people are to represent God's image because God's image is inside of us, which means that the way that we treat other people matters because every single person on this planet, if they have breath in their lungs is an image bearer of God, even if they're not representing him well. Even if they cut you off while you're trying to go on to 25 off of 83 and they pretend you don't exist, that person 
is an image bearer of God too. (laughs) And you see how this needs to confront us in some ways. It needs to challenge us in some ways because it should shape how we look at people in the world. Now here is another beautiful scriptural truth that I think we gain from understanding God's image is inside of us, is that God's image is created in who? Men alone? No, male and female, which means that both men and women represent the image of who God is. Now, if you don't realize this, I'm gonna tell you now, This is incredibly revolutionary thinking. You see, oftentimes I don't think people understand world history enough. And because we live in a society that has so often been influenced by Judeo-Christian perspectives, we forget that at time in the world stage, most people did not value the sexes. And of course, we're still trying to deal with some of those problems today. But compared to what it once was, to think that both male and female represent the image of God in an equal nature is crazy thought for the rest of the world that would have lived around a Jewish society. So Christianity, even in the beginning pages, right off the first chapter, tries to do what in helping people see the human image? That we are image bearers of God and that the image of God is in the faces of men and women. This is why so often, even though we see God more within male forms like God the Father or the person of Jesus, why it's a regular occurrence within Scripture to also see God refer to himself like a mother. Like a mother hen, for instance, who is putting her children under her wing. Like a comforter, a nurturer, all these things that are oftentimes associated with a more feminine personality. Because the image of God is in people just as much as male as female. And in fact, if we want to deal with issues of equality, I think people would be well suited to just read Genesis 1 and see how in the beginning God creates these two people. It's only after the fall that all of these things start to really come into tension with each other. You know, this year, we're going to be celebrating, actually this month, on Thanksgiving. So while you guys are all enjoying Thanksgiving this year, my wife and I will be enjoying Thanksgiving, plus the fact that it is our 10-year anniversary for marriage. That's when everybody's supposed to clap. (laughs) Which, you know, in a world where, you know, marriage rates are going down, I'm very proud to be a father. And marriage has been a continuous reminder and a humbling one at that of the importance and the need in my life for my wife. And it's taught me in so many different ways how important it is to have a healthy family. 
You know, one of the beautiful things that I get to enjoy and my wife gets to enjoy in marriage is that we get to fulfill the basic mission in some ways, the basic command in some ways that God gives purpose to in things like family, which is to have children. And I understand that that is a gift and that not everybody gets to enjoy that gift and that there are people who struggle to have kids and there's ways, I believe, to be a mom or to be a dad to other people even if you don't have your own biological children. But we live in a time where unfortunately having children, being married, those kinds of things are only seen as burdens. You'll hear people say things like, I'm child free, which I think is a terrible way to put two words together. One freedom and then the other children as if children are a form of bondage and slavery. Now, don't get me wrong, every now and then Theodore, t- uh, you know, he tests my beliefs here, <laughs> and so does my other son. But children are a blessing, and, and Scripture makes this known right from the start. And unfortunately, I also fell prey to the thinking of our times. You see, if you didn't know, even though we're celebrating 10 years of marriage, my child isn't even four yet. My oldest, that is. So that meant we went a few years without kids. And I think we needed that time, but so often that time was associated with the thinking, with a thought like this. I'll wait to have kids after I graduate seminary school. Then it went, I'll wait to have kids after I get a good job. I got that job. I'll wait till I have kids until... I have a house, then we got a house. I'll wait to have kids until I have a better job and a bigger house. (laughs) And so on and so on and so on, until my 401k account's big enough, until their college fund can be set up, until... And I remember when Michaela got pregnant in 2000, and I think it was 16 or 17, and I remember when she got pregnant, hopefully, I, I don't know if I did the math right there, guys. So when she got pregnant... I remember panicking and being afraid and and just getting nervous over this new responsibility, this new child that we were going going to meet into this world. And I'll never forget one of my pastors at that time, while I was pastoring a church, my pastor, came up to me and said, you know, Kevin, and slumped his feet onto the desk. He said, kids have a way of just coming, coming to you with two loaves of bread between their arms. And he was so right. And something that I've learned, and I continue to try to encourage others to know, is that every single thing that scripture is in favor for, families, marriage, children, that God desires to bless those institutions. You know, so often, because the world likes to tell us all of these things are nothing but burdens, we think that God doesn't desire to bless families. And my pastor was so right. God figures out a way to make the math work, to take care of those precious little kids. And I'm sure if I were to ask you in your own life, you'd have stories of hardship but you'd also have stories of how God provided. 
and how he made a difference in blessing your marriage and blessing your family. And so often, the only reasons why we don't sometimes experience those blessings is simply we just don't even ask. And look, I'm not saying the blessings are, Lord, it would be really, really great to have a mega mansion house and a brand new van. Like, I'm thinking $50,000 price range, God. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that God can meet the needs in your marriage and in your family and your children. Those are prayers that God is happy to answer that he's happy to act on and he's happy to stitch together situations that just leave you saying, God showed up. But I think in order to understand this further, we need to not just look at children, but we need to look at each other and how God placed us in this world with somebody who is very, very different than ourselves. You know, so often I think we look at the other sex and we just see nothing but mystery, confusion, and we scratch our heads about that, right? I remember at least when I was younger, that's how I felt about it. But I need to, just as much as every single person in this room, needs to understand that being a woman And being a man is part of representing the image of God. And I think scripture wants to make this point. You see, men represent the image of God and women represent the image of God. These distinctions are given to us purposefully by the Father. And I think that it has been a great shame within our society to see on both sides of the aisle people degrading and diminishing the other sex. Because when I read scripture, I see that God created both people. Which means that if you are the kind of person that likes to bash men or bash women, then what you are doing is is you are bashing a part of God's image. Now, don't get me wrong. There are behaviors that we do not celebrate. But we need to be careful to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, for lack of a better word. And we need to understand that both manhood And womanhood are good things created by God. And that even from the very beginning, God creates these two groups with total equality in mind. Amen? If we attack either sex, we are attacking parts of God's image. Here's another thought. Men, you need women in this world. Quite literally, the race will not survive. (laughs) Women, you need men in this world. You do. And unfortunately, with all of the work that has been done with equality, we are seeing an 
equal, but yet in some ways opposite problem. Where if you didn't know, boys and men are struggling to know what it really means to be a man. And unfortunately, the only word we have for masculinity these days is toxic masculinity. And those are oftentimes seen as just one word. And we are going to reap a crisis that we're already starting to see of men not knowing how to be men. You want to talk about a problem that our society is facing? Let's talk about the fact that too many homes have children growing up without dads, without fathers. Too many homes have children that do not understand what a true dynamic of a loving mother and a loving father working together as a team looks like. We need to celebrate men. We need to celebrate women. And we need to understand that both sexes are a part of God's image. And that regardless of what culture tries to tell us, we need to fight against any area of culture that tries to diminish those images of God. You know, a couple of years ago, um, I was probably only at this church for a year or so, um, somebody had given me a call from, uh, they were a congregate of mine at a church that I served at while I was uh, pastoring a church in Lakewood, and they had attended my marriage Bible study. Well, it just so happens that they had a younger sister who was about to get married. Now, this younger sister had fallen away from going to the church. There were some traumatic experiences in her life that, to be honest with you, I understood why she left. But she had, with her fiancé, a desire to have a Christian wedding and to start their marriage off on a foundation of God's word and wanting to commit to going to church again together. So they asked me if I would be willing to do the wedding, and I was happy to hear that they wanted to have a Christian one, so that, I checked that off my box. And the next one, though, that I had to ask them is, is I said, I will marry you guys. It's going to be a Christian wedding. I'm going to have you guys read the Christian vows because far too often these vows that people write for each other at weddings are more like gushy poetry than an actual vow of commitment. And then the other thing is, is we're going to do premarital counseling together at least three to four weeks. So they agreed to do that with me. So I met with them on a weekly basis talking about biblical perspectives on marriage. Now, on one week, the woman tried to warn me. She says, I'm a strong feminist, and I just need you to know that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm for women and equality too? <laughs> and I was nervous because canned in my lessons, I have a whole lesson for the relationships and the dynamics of male and female. And I was thinking to myself, a couple hours before they came into my office for this session that we were going to have, maybe I just skipped this portion. And I immediately became convicted by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit conviction told me, why should I ever feel ashamed for God's word? I should never feel ashamed for God's truth, amen? amen. Nor should you. 
So I said, you know what? I'm going to leave it in there. And I'm going <laughs> to preach it. Oh, I'm going to preach it good. <laughs> so she came and sat down and we talked and I gave my little message out of First Peter and I had both of them read the scriptures so that they can see that these were not my words, but God's words. So she read out of First Peter where it talks about the nature of a relationship between a man and a woman and that a man is ultimately called to try to lead his family well. But and then I was very careful to define what true biblical leadership looks like. Because you see, the Bible calls a man to lead, but to lead how? The way that Christ leads. Now, if we look at the life of Christ and we examine the way that he led, did Christ rule with an iron hammer? Did Christ rule with a sword? Did Christ degrade women? and try to push them to the fringes? Did Christ do anything that we could really look at and think, man, this guy, boy, he had a Napoleon complex. Not at all. Christ led in a way where before he would be crucified, he gathered his disciples in a room. He disrobed himself, which is a form of humiliation for that time, and he washed his own disciples' feet. Christ ruled in a way where his kingdom was about letting the children come first. We're caring for the least of these. We're seeking out people who were blind, sick, and broken and bringing them what? Restoration. He led through self-sacrifice and servanthood. And I remember as I was saying this to this couple, I specifically honed in on on the future husband-to-be, and I said, God wants you to lead through sacrifice, to be able to be the kind of person that can daily wash her feet and be able to put her above yourself and to love her enough to say, I'm the one that goes down with the ship first. And this whole entire time, I could literally see the guy start to grow bigger and bigger, like, I can almost see the empowerment it felt to be talked to in a way where it said, lead and be strong. And I could see the girl in that moment start to just smile. And I took the time to ask her, and I was so glad that I did. Anything in here offends you in your feminism? (laughs) And she goes, nope, it all sounds great to me. (laughs) You see, you can be 100% equal, but yet still different. And we know this because in the Godhead, we see that relationship, do we not? Where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct within the Godhead. Equal, but distinct where we see times where Jesus does what? He submits to the will of the Father. That doesn't mean that he's God's subordinate in the sense that he's lesser than God because he himself is God. But yet there are times where Jesus yields himself to the Father's will. Male and female, God created them. Male 
and female, God created them. And here's something that I love that comes in chapter two. We've gotten there finally. (laughs) The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him, verse 18. Equal, yet distinct. Here's something that I think is amazing within creation story. Is that God made Adam, and he made him to be perfect, right? There was nothing but goodness in Adam until he would fall. But yet God still creates Adam with what? A portion in his heart that can only be satisfied by who? Eve, a woman. And God allows Adam to experience, at least within the Genesis 2 account, what it's like to live life without Eve. So even though God creates and God creates good and he creates perfect, he allows Adam to have that experience. So why? So that when Eve comes into the picture, he can value her all the more. And again, we fail to realize just how revolutionary these Judeo-Christian thoughts are. But when Eve was created, what, how does God create Eve? He creates Eve by taking a portion out of Adam, specifically her rib. And look, we can make a lot of assumptions on why it was the rib, but I like to think that one of the reasons why God took a portion of the rib from Adam was because that, was, that rib is what's closest to his heart, but it's also what stands to the side of an individual. That God didn't take out of Adam's foot so that a woman would be below her. That God didn't take out of Adam's head so that a woman would be above her, but that God took at the side of Adam so that a woman would be beside him. And that they two together would be equals with each other. This is so hard for our society to understand. You see, I remember now that my wife walked in, I can put some, a little bit more egg in my face, but I remember we were just a few months married. And honey, we're celebrating 10 years. And I really, really wanted a new car. You see, we had just moved out to Denver, and I was attending my master's program at Denver Seminary, and I so badly needed a new car. And of course, I'm brand new to Colorado. I'm feeling like I'm going to grow a beard, and I'm going to just you know, be out in the wilderness and only wear flannel shirts. So what comes with that? A Jeep Wrangler, of course, right? (laughs) So I have only eyes for a Jeep Wrangler, but my budget is only a couple thousand dollars, right? You know? So I'm looking at the bottom of the barrel, and finally I find a 1993 Jeep Wrangler with 188,000 miles on it, and I say, it's a great car! (laughs) Doesn't have air conditioning, has almost 200,000 miles, this is a good investment. (laughs) And my wife has a funny feeling, right? (laughs) As any normal, logical, sane, thinking person would. And she says, honey, I don't think this is the right one. And, you know, it's being stripped from me, this enjoyment of having a Jeep Wrangler. So what do I do? I listen to my wife. I say, honey, you are absolutely right. And I go off and buy the car anyways. (laughs) 
the truth is, is I didn't listen at all. And I go and I buy the car off anyways. And within a week, the car's head gasket exploded. And smoke is puffing up. You know, the whole car is dying as I'm slowly bending the corner. And I'm just dead inside. And you can imagine what that next call was going to sound like. Uh, Michaela? (laughs) Out of no coincidence to this situation, you know that car that you said I shouldn't buy? Nobody's ever going to steal it. (laughs) Because it's stuck on the side of the road. (laughs) She knew. God spoke to her. I didn't listen. But yet, she was wise enough to allow me to learn my mistake. And now I have a policy that if Michaela has a funny feeling about things, I listen. (laughs) Every now and then I still need to work on that policy. (laughs) Male and female, God created them. What a wonderful thing that both men and women represent the image of God. The last beautiful thing that we see within creation is in verse 25, after Adam is so happy and excited to meet his wife Eve, it says that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And again, every single middle school boy is saying, Amen. But I was reminded at what power this first shows. And in fact, in Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, Beth, you were the one to make a beautiful comment about this. What a beautiful thing in creation that you can be the fullness of yourself in front of somebody else. So often in our life, we metaphorically hide, right? We put on layers to prevent people from seeing who we are deep down inside. Because we're afraid of what that exposure might mean in somebody's opinion of us, right? So we put on extra layers so that they don't see the scars of our lives or the things that make us feel insecure. But God's creation and his intended plan was for us to be able to be fully visible to the other individual without hiding. I think in some ways that this is a message that should remind us of how church life ought to look like. That we can not literally be naked, don't do that. (laughs) But that we can be ourselves to others. If you're married something that you need to work on is be yourself. Set up an environment in your home where you can be yourself to your spouse. Work towards that. If you're not married, try to find a woman or a man that you can truly be the best version of yourself with and not hiding any of those things. And even if you are never going to be married... Find friendships, find a church, find people in your life that you can be yourself with. Amen? Amen. The simple message for today, 
the idea that everybody needs to go home with, is let your life fully reflect the image of God. Let your life fully reflect the image of God. God has placed his image upon you, and it's part of your call, whether you're a male or a female, to show that image to the world. That image could mean that you stand up in situations of injustice, because God is a just God. That image could mean that you nurture and you care for those people that need to be nurtured and loved on. That you are like that mother hen who puts children under their wings. That image of God is, is that you show love to other people in this world. That you desire not to do harm, but to bring about good, to bring about peace, mercy, grace, justice, love, patience. That is the image of God, and that is the image that God wants you to show others. Will you do that this week for me? Will you look at yourself and say, Lord, help me to bear your image well to others? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you came into this world. I thank you that you created this world that you created the unique nature of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And I pray, Father, in a time and in a place where both of those concepts are under attack, where people are so confused in thinking what those concepts even mean, if anything at all, that you would help us as individuals begin to redeem and restore those images properly into this world. Not to fight for equality for nothing, but to fight for equality with the distinct natures that you've created between men and women. Lord, we understand that every single individual is a little different and families look a little different, Lord, but we thank you for men and we thank you for women and we trust, Father, that the only way that we can get the fullest glimpse of who you are is by seeing both of those images, male and female. Lord, help us to embody that image to others. In Jesus' name, amen.